This is The Guardian. Hello, Guardian columnist Jonathan Friedland here. I now have my own US politics podcast, which is, helpfully, called Politics Weekly America. So if you want to hear my interviews with politicians like Hillary Clinton or expert analysis from Guardian journalists and the latest news from Washington, D.C. and beyond, you should subscribe. To do that, just type Politics Weekly America into Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. We'll be there every Friday. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Looking for your next great podcast? We live in unprecedented times. To make sense of it, what if you could learn from some of the most influential people on the planet? The podcast Tools and Weapons is hosted by Microsoft's Vice Chair and President Brad Smith. Every week he has a candid conversation with guests, including Prime Ministers and Pulitzer Prize-winning journalists. The latest episode features Bayer CEO Bill Anderson. Though most of us know Bayer for pharmaceuticals, they're also focused on crop science. They're putting digital tools in the hands of farmers to get the most out of every acre. Listen to Tools and Weapons with Brad Smith wherever you get your podcasts. Fracking has always been a contentious issue. In places where it's been proposed, it's usually been met with fierce opposition from local communities. We said no! We said no! Today was the day energy company Quadrilla was due to begin work at their site at Farmland at the edge of Blackpool. And it was the day protesters chose to make another stand against it. And in 2019, it seemed like the issue could soon be settled when the government banned any further use of the technique for extracting oil and gas. Fracking was suspended at this site in Lancashire in August after a magnitude 2.9 earthquake. Three months of uncertainty later, and the government has now called a halt to shale gas extraction, quote, until and unless it's proved safe. But as the UK considers its dependency on Russian energy, the government has now said that fracking could be back on the table. Our position uh, from the moratorium has always been the same. If it can be done in a safe and sustainable way, um, you know, the government is open uh, to the idea of fracking. We've always said this. This position has not changed. So, with ongoing safety and environmental concerns, why are people proposing it as a solution? And is it really a viable option for the UK? From The Guardian, I'm Anand Jagatia. And this is Science Weekly.
So Damien Carrington, you're the Guardian's environment editor. And once again, you've been reporting on fracking. Before we drill down into some of these details, were you surprised that this debate around fracking has, has resurfaced again? This sort of yes and no is the answer. I've been writing about fracking for more than a decade now, I think. And um, I'm surprised it came back because it's a really terrible idea for, for multiple reasons. But I'm not surprised it's come back because of the energy crisis, the high price of gas. And then, of course, on top of that, the terrible events in uh, Ukraine, which uh, have also highlighted uh, the sort of dependency on gas. And so it seems like an obvious answer. Let's produce more gas at home. But as I say, that's a really bad idea for lots of reasons. So we'll get into some of those reasons in a second. But maybe let's start with some basics. What actually is fracking? How does it work? So fracking is a way of uh, liberating gas and oil from rocks within which it's trapped. So in traditional oil and gas fields, the rocks that contain them are porous so that the oil and gas can flow through them up through the well and out into the uh, surface. But with shale rocks, that doesn't happen. And so what you have to do is create fractures within those rocks. And they do that by injecting high pressure water with grains of sand and some other chemicals to kind of open some cracks in the rock and then hold it open with those little bits of sand and so on. And then that allows the gas or the oil to come out. And fracking in the UK, especially, but also in other parts of the world has always been very controversial. And uh, here it's attracted a lot of strong opposition from locals living in places where fracking was being considered. We will not stop. Whose future? Why are so many people against fracking? Some of the protesters were worried about the climate crisis, which uh, fossil fuels uh, contribute to. They're also worried about earthquakes, although most of the tremors were relatively small, but uh, obviously that's pretty unsettling. Uh, there were concerns about water pollution and air pollution. But there were other things as well, like noise. Actually, one of the things that was most pertinent in some of the planning inquiries up in Lancashire was a number of uh, heavy goods vehicles that have to go backwards and forwards to these facilities. And uh, at one site called Preston New Road, they were predicting 50 HGVs going backwards and forwards every day. And this is, you know, in a kind of small rural community with small roads. And so, you know, it would have a pretty um, big local impact. Of course, the reason why we're talking about this is because over the past few weeks, we've all been watching the tragic situation unfold in Ukraine. And part of the fallout from that is that the West is now scrambling to wean itself off of Russian oil and gas. And a small number of MPs have argued that fracking could be part of the solution to that. And it could be a cheap way for us to get decades worth of natural gas domestically. But lots of experts have disputed those claims and have said that fracking isn't something that would really work in the UK. Why is that? So there's um, lots of reasons. Perhaps uh, the most obvious one is that uh, Britain's a very densely populated island. So if you compare it to America, say um, Texas, where the population density is much lower, you can imagine it's much easier to plant lots of wells across the state there. One of the problems is the geology. We've basically got the wrong kind of geology, both in terms of the complexity of the rock formations and also the type of rock. So tell me about the geology in the UK. Why isn't it ideal for fracking? There's two main areas. One is uh, called the Boland Shale, which is sort of in the north of England towards the east and west coast. And that's uh, a shale which was formed 
around 300 million years ago. Um, it was a marine basin, so a, a sea and uh, sediments and organic material from animals and plants and so on would fall down to the bottom. But like since that time, what's happened is it's been squashed and folded as tectonic plates have moved around and now it's ended up back at the surface. But it's been broken up into lots of small basins and there's lots of faults in between sections of the rock. So again, unlike in America where you've got you know, miles and miles and miles of uniform geology, which makes it very easy to uh, assess, it's much more complicated here. Um, and another problem with the Boland Shale is that, as a geologist put it uh, to me, it's the wrong sort of shale. So what you really want for fracking is a kind of more brittle shale which has more silica in it because then when you fracture it it remains fractured whereas the shales in the UK and the Boland shale have more clay minerals in and they're quite soft and malleable and so uh, what happens is that uh, when you fracture them they tend to close up again those fractures. So some pretty fundamental uh, issues there, but there's also some practical considerations, like how would we even get a kind of fracking industry off the ground in a way that would address the things that people are worried about right now? Yeah, you're right. I mean, there's, there's a lot of practical uh, problems. If you want to produce significant amounts of shale gas or oil, you need a lot of wells. And if you take the um, estimates from the industry of how much gas is there, they claim that there's 50 years worth of gas. And I'll come back to that. You'd need 20,000 wells in about 30 years across the country. So this is not a quick fix or something which is not really going to have a big impact across the country. I mean, in terms of the amount of gas, actually, the best recent estimate reckons there's probably only about five years of gas. As I say, that would take time uh, to get out of the ground. But the other thing is that, you know, even if it did happen and there was a significant amount of gas produced here, it wouldn't change the price because gas is an international commodity. You know, pretty much everyone, even the companies themselves, accept that gas, that even if it's fracked in the UK, is not going to be cheaper. So, Damien, despite what we have been hearing from from some MPs pushing forward this case for fracking again, is there actually a wider appetite for fracking, especially from MPs that are in constituencies where fracking could be a potential option? Frankly, no, there isn't, not at all. So uh, what I did with uh, my colleague Helen Horton was map all the existing onshore exploration licences onto uh, parliamentary constituencies in England And it turns out there's 138 constituencies that have um, at least part of the constituency covered by an onshore exploration licence. And then we asked them, you know, are you in favour of fracking or not? And uh, only five, all of them Conservative MPs, said yes. So if locals and lots of MPs seem to be against fracking, who who is for it? Why why are we hearing it resurfacing again in, in the news? It's a very good question because, in my view, it's a very small number of frackheads, if you like, who get very uh, excited about this possibility. This is a technique which has been examined by the Royal Society of Science, the Royal Academy of Engineering, and they said very emphatically that any problems of uh, environment, safety and health can be satisfactorily managed in this country, as we have done over 60 years with the oil and gas industry. And I think... It's probably very fair to say that if you look at people who have been quite prominent in downplaying the climate crisis or even denying that there's a problem, there's a pretty big overlap with the uh, same people uh, being very vociferous in favour of uh, fracking. So there isn't a problem other than the concern of these people to stop us using any form of fossil fuels and therefore they invent and exaggerate fears.
So Damien, clearly fracking in the long term isn't going to be a solution because we need to move away from fossil fuels. But in the short term, it sounds like it's not really going to be much help either to deal with the energy crisis or to get ourselves away from Russian energy. What are some ways that we might be able to deal with those problems in the near future? It's a great question. Uh, And the good news is that there's some really um, straightforward things that can be done. The one that often gets overlooked, but maybe the most important because it's the least costly and in some ways has the biggest impact is energy efficiency, making people's homes less drafty. Doing that obviously reduces the amount of gas you use fantastically. There's also obviously uh, rolling out renewable energy, so wind power. The good thing about onshore wind farms is they're fast to build and they make very cheap electricity, way, way, way cheaper than uh, gas-powered power stations at the moment. If you want, I can get really geeky as well. Always, always. Most people in Britain have gas boilers, uh, including me. And there's one thing you can look up and do, which is reducing the temperature of your radiator flow. And so most people will find that the standard default for the the hot water that goes from their boiler to their radiators could be 70, 75 degrees. You can actually turn that down to maybe 50 or 55. And what it means is that your house will warm up more slowly, but it will still get to the temperature unless uh, it's extremely drafty. Um, But you'll use a lot less gas getting there. So I've been doing that this winter. So that's my personal tip, which I learned and implemented from some geeky heating people. That is amazing. Uh, Thank you so much, Damien, for first of all that brilliant tip also for coming on here and for introducing me to the word frackhead that's that's a new one for me (laughs) no problem thanks very much i should probably say actually don't reduce the flow temperature of the hot water in your house because uh, we don't want people getting legionnaires disease it's only the radiator thanks again to damien carrington you can find a link to his and helena's most recent reporting on fracking at theguardian.com Just before you go, I wanted to point you towards one of our other podcasts at The Guardian, Politics Weekly America, which comes out every Friday. Guardian columnist and former Washington correspondent Jonathan Friedland invites guests to help analyse the latest in US politics. In the last episode, Jonathan spoke to Democrat Congresswoman Brenda Lawrence about the war in Ukraine and how it could influence voters at home when the midterm elections take place in November as well as who in the Republican Party worries her the most for 2024. To hear their fascinating discussion, just search for Politics Weekly America wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe so you never miss an episode. And that's it for today. The producer was me, Anand Jagatia, sound design was by Rudy Zagadlo and the executive producers were Max Sanderson and Danielle Stevens. And your usual hosts for Science Weekly, Ian and Madeline, will be back from Thursday. Bye. This is The Guardian. Looking for your next great podcast? We live in unprecedented times. To make sense of it, what if you could learn from some of the most influential people on the planet? The podcast Tools and Weapons is hosted by Microsoft's Vice Chair and President Brad Smith. Every week he has a candid conversation with guests, including Prime Ministers and Pulitzer Prize-winning journalists. 
The latest episode features Bayer CEO Bill Anderson. Though most of us know Bayer for pharmaceuticals, they're also focused on crop science. They're putting digital tools in the hands of farmers to get the most out of every acre. Listen to Tools and Weapons with Brad Smith wherever you get your podcasts. Brought to you by Lexus. Some things do more than their stated functions because exceptional things inspire you to do exceptional things. To this select list, we add the all-new Lexus GX. With its exceptional capability, you'll see possibilities you never knew existed, sending you far outside your comfort zone. But as much as the GX challenges you, it also spoils you. Its intuitive technology and luxurious features mean that wherever you go, you'll never go without. Live up to it. The all-new Lexus GX. 